Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of his glory to you. Acts 4, 23-31 says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's word. Amen. Good morning. My name is Vince. I'm going to remove these quickly. My name is Vince. I'm one of the elders here. If we have not met, I would love to meet you. Um, We are in the book of Acts, as you know now, as we've read through it. Before we jump in this morning, uh, I want to spend a few minutes um, uh, praying for uh, those in Paris. Uh, A lot of you have heard, um, I'm sure all of you have heard at least some news about what's going on. And um, I think with a text like this, it would be foolish of us not to... um, approach God in prayer for the people there. Um, so can we, can we spend a few minutes praying for those, those in, in France? God, um, we know that you are sovereign. We know that your plan stands, that nothing can thwart it. No one can. And even though we know that, um, at times it's hard to believe that. Um, And so, Father, we ask that you would give us um, faith where we need it to believe that you are in control. And God, this morning we mourn with those who are mourning. In Paris, we weep with those who are weeping. God, we know that you do not take delight in the slaughter of people made in your image. And so we weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And we ask, Father, that you would be the comfort to the people who are there. You are the only one who can comfort. And God, we pray, just as this passage that was read, we pray for courage for the believers in that city. We pray that you would give them boldness to speak the good name of Jesus to a hurting people. We pray that you would, you would bring them boldness and courage to speak, uh, speak the truth in love to those who are searching for uh, a reason to, to doubt, searching for a reason for, for hope in the things that have happened. God, would you, uh, would you give boldness to those who are there to comfort, to speak the name of Jesus? God, would you allow the church to flourish in a place that's very dead? with the gospel. Even, even our brothers and sisters over there who we know in Paris who are, who are trying to plant churches, God, would you raise them up in the midst of this tragedy to be, uh, to be the people you've called them to be. Give them courage, give them boldness. And God, I, I pray that in the months and the years to come that we would only hear reports of how the church is flourishing because of this. Would you do that? We pray. Amen. All right, 
Um, about a month ago, we began this, this push into, into this passage where we saw Peter and John walking uh, a daily walk to the temple to pray. And so that was about a month ago where we started that. We're still talking about this, right? It's an ongoing thing that we've been working through where Peter and John have gone to the temple to pray with the other believers who are are there. And at one of the gates of the temple, they meet a man who was lame, lame from birth. Forty years, we're told that he has not walked. He's never been able to walk. He's been carried to the temple over and over and over again for all of his life. And this man, he doesn't approach Peter and John. He can't, but Peter and John uh, approach him. They walk by and, and he asks for money from them, and they don't give him money, but instead, through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, through them, and in the name of Christ Jesus, they offer this man healing, that they extend a hand of healing. And so Peter tells us that it is through the man's faith in the name of Jesus that he is made well. So this man does what... Um, what, what happens when uh, the name of Jesus works powerfully on someone, he leaps up and praises God. And so he, he leaps up and praises God. And, and from there, Peter and John begin to face what? Opposition. They begin to face opposition from all of the religious leaders, from all of the dignitaries at the time in Jerusalem. They're held in custody. They are questioned because they were proclaiming the name of Jesus. They were warned not to speak about Jesus anymore. They were threatened not to speak about Jesus anymore, threatened and then released because they couldn't find a reason to keep them there. Now listen, Jesus promised that that would happen, right? Jesus promised that opposition would happen. He promised Peter and John that opposition would happen because of Jesus. The very reason they face opposition, the very reason we face opposition in the name of Jesus is because Jesus himself faced opposition first. When the world hates Jesus, we know that in, in our following Jesus, the world will also hate us. But listen, this is a comforter. It should be. When the world hates us, we know that the world is hating Jesus. Their, their opposition is directed toward Jesus. And so we find comfort in that, that Jesus promised that that would happen, that he has been through that, and that he wins. That, that he wins. So, so what is our response to this opposition? How do we respond when we face opposition because of our faith in Jesus? It, it may be that you, um, that, that you hear that and you think, I don't know that I really face opposition at all. I don't know that I, I, I face any opposition for my faith in Jesus. And, and I would argue that if that's the case, it, it's actually... Um, uh, and, I, and I say this in love, it's, it's actually not because you're winsome in your approach. That, that's not the reason. It's not because you, you do so well at how you live out your faith in Jesus, and so you just don't face op- opposition. But I would argue instead that it's because you may not actually be speaking boldly the name of Jesus. It may be that you may, may not actually be following Jesus, living a different life, living a changed life because of what Jesus has done in and through you. Let's put it out there. Something that I have to think about. Some might say, well, I, I don't face opposition for following Jesus at all. Um, it, it, is it because I'm doing such a great job of communicating my views? Like maybe that's it. Like I'm just knocking it out of the park, and people hear it and and they think it it's great. I think it may be helpful to examine if you're actually communicating right biblical views about Jesus and His call to faith and repentance. That may be something to examine as you think about how how you're not facing opposition. Right. So, so what is it? Uh, what is the immediate response of Peter and John and the rest of the followers? What's their immediate response? Here's what it is. Very simply, but I think very profound. Here's what it is. Very simply, very telling of their perspective of opposition. What happens? They pray. They pray. They approach God in prayer for boldness. That's their response. And so very simply this morning, we're going to learn from the early church that the only way to face opposition because of the name of Jesus, because of following Jesus, opposition for following Jesus, the only way that, that, that we move forward in, in facing opposition is this, that, that we have to acknowledge our sovereign God, 
that he is sovereign. We have to acknowledge our sovereign God in prayer, knowing that he is the only one who is able to and will answer those prayers. Right? So, so we have to approach it in, in that way. So we'll just jump right in, and, and what do we see first? Look at verse 23. Chapter 4, verse 23, we're told that Peter and John were released, and when they were released, they went back to their friends. I love that. Literally, they went back to their own. <laughs> they went back to their own people. They went back to the other followers of Jesus. We, we cannot miss that. I think we, we use the word friend, and we just, yeah, we're best friends. What's that mean? But I, I don't think we can miss it here. That they went back to their own this is not an isolating event. It's not a, an, an event for them that, that they face opposition and their first response is, is to, to, to just tuck away and deal with it. No, their, their first response is to go back to their own, to be with others. That's their inclination. We can't miss that. And so what did they do when they, they got back to their own people, to their friends? What, what did they do? Here's what they did. They reported to the chief priests and the elders uh, what, what they reported to them, what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Right? So they, they told their friends, they told their own people what had been said to them, how they were warned, how they were threatened, how they were told not to speak about Jesus. They, they go to their friends and they say, this is what went down. Now, this is so subtle, and I really hesitate to do this. I thought a lot about this this, this last week, uh, whether or not to go in this direction, but I think it's re- it could be really helpful for us. So I'm, I'm going to spend a little bit of time. It's subtle, but I, I think it's here, and I think it could be applica- good application for us. Do, do you know what we see of Peter and John and the other believers with them? I think we see that the very first thing they did was they, they, they simply acknowledged their situation. It's subtle, but I think it's there, and I think we need to think about this. I think we all too often run from our problems. We hide them from others. We shove them down, and we don't think deeply about them ourselves. We just don't, we don't allow them to soak in, to, to think deeply about them. We live in such a fast-paced, uh, busy, noisy culture that we don't take time to actually acknowledge the situation that we're in. And I'm not trying to be uh, philosophical or, or, or psychological or, or flowery or really draw out something that, that may not be there. I'm simply trying to put in front of us the, the fact that we all too often move from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, without thinking deeply about what has happened, about about the effects that, that, that are on us, about how the things that are in our lives deeply affect who we are, what, what God is sovereignly orchestrating in our lives. We jump so quickly from one thing to the next to the next to the next because we are doers because we're workers because we're accomplishers because we're fixers but i think in quickly jumping to the next task without acknowledging what has happened it will often leave us at times and lead us to a place of of trusting in ourselves and not trusting in god trusting in our own sufficiencies i'm going to shove this down i'm going to work it out i'm going to fix it i'm going to i'm going to move on i need to deal with this and I know that this is subtle, and, and maybe you, you wouldn't lean in this direction at, at looking in this text, but I think it's worth considering that, that Peter and John go back to the people, to their own, to their friends, and they just talk about the situation. Here's what went down. Here, here's where we are. We, we've got to slow down. We've got to think deeply about what has happened and acknowledge the situation, not fix the situation, at least not, not right up front, not, not change the situation, not do something about the situation. Acknowledge the situation. It's there. Acknowledge the situation. And when we acknowledge the situation, I think our prayers will be informed. It informs our prayers if we stop to think deeply about what has happened, taking time to step back and see what is happening. Feel, actually feel, I know that's a dirty word, right? To actually feel, how does it make you feel? To feel what is happening, I think that will inform our prayers. Don't we see this all over the Psalms? We see it all over the Psalms. We see the writer of the Psalm explaining the situation acknowledging the situation and then moving into prayer. It's all over the place. In fact, this week I thought, is it? Uh, let me look. And I opened my Bible. My Bible landed in Psalm 55, which, by the way, I wouldn't, I'm not suggesting that that's a good way to approach life, by the way. 
But I did it. I opened my Bible to Psalm 55, and it's a Psalm of David that goes back and forth between prayers to God and acknowledging the situation. We see it back and forth. The first three verses are prayers to God. Then in verses 4 through 8, there's an acknowledgement of the anguish and the fear. Then starting in verse 9, there's a pleading with God to destroy His enemies. Then back to acknowledgement of the situation in verse 12. And then in verse 15, there's this pleading with God. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Here's the situation that forces me to plead with God. Here's the situation that forces me to plead with God about the situation. Psalm 55 is just one of many, many, many psalms that, that do that. His acknowledgement of the situation led him to prayers about the situation. We've got to stop and think about the situation. And, and so what causes, uh, what, what, what causes us to do that? What causes us to move in that direction? What, what's that look like for you? Let's say, what, what, does that, what, what kind of disciplines do you need to put into your life that will cause you to think deeply about your situation? I know this is really practical. This this could actually sound like a little self-help talk here. But but hold on. We'll, we'll get to where this is going, all right? Let me just put out a couple a couple uh, helps that may be here for you. First, turn off your stuff. Just turn off your phone. Leave it in a different room. Turn off your TV. Turn off your music. Turn off your computer and be still. Listen. Listen, set aside some time to sit in silence. You won't think deeply about anything if you don't have the mental space to do so. Secondly, um, write about your day. Take up the, the, the discipline of, the practice of, of, of journaling, of writing. These are just tips. I'm not telling you these are in the text that you have to do this. These are just things that could be helpful. Journal about your day-to-day situations. Think back on your day, your week, your ups and downs in life. Write about what you're facing. Just sit down and write about what you're facing, your fears, your joys, your struggles, your happiness. Write about what you've faced and, and, and listen, and what you deserve. Write about what you have faced and, and what you deserve in that. Write about the ways that God is working in you and on you in that situation. Working hard to compile thoughts into writing will force you to acknowledge the situation. It just does. To, to slow down and acknowledge it. Third, read your Bible. Oh, that's a good one, Vince. Uh, read your Bible. Specifically, read the Psalms. Like I just said, read the, the Psalms. Thank you. Um, she's acknowledging the situation right there. Um, read your Bible. Um, read the, the Psalms. Read Paul's letters. S- start with Ephesians 1 and 2. If you want to think about your, your situation for the purpose uh, uh, of thinking about where you are, where you have been, where you're headed, read uh, Ephesians 1 and 2. For, for the purpose of introspection alone? No, no, no. But, but for, uh, for the purpose of, with an eye towards your current situation, what you deserve and what you have received. Spend some time looking at the word that way. And then fourth, this is the last one. Find someone who is able to be patient with you as you unload on them. Just find someone. Find someone to spend some time sharing with with them your, your trials. Openly and honestly share where you are, what you're wrestling through. I have a good friend who, who this past week, he's facing a, a difficult situation. Something that, that came up over the last uh, weeks, maybe maybe months, and, and uh, he texted me on his way home from work, and he said, "Hey, I've got this situation. Can I, can I stop by and just just talk for a bit?" And I said, "Sure." And so he knew knew he needed to process through some stuff, right? He, he's a verbal processor by his own admission. He he said, "I I need to come over and, and just talk." talk through the situation and so he talked acknowledging where his heart was and how he needed to respond and really I, I didn't say a word those are the best counseling appointments right where they're like thank you so much and I'm like yeah you know Bill is in the mail so he came over and, and just was able to unload and, and able to talk okay so so all that uh, those are just tips but but listen why why we we've got to acknowledge the situations we're in knowing that g- there's a sovereign god who is orchestrating these situations for his fame right 
that, that he's orchestrating these things for his fame, for his glory. And so acknowledging these situations informs our prayers. It informs how we think about ourselves and how we think about the God who made us. And, and I think in the, in the day and age that we're in, in, in which we, we live, it pushes us hard against our ability to sit still and see the situation uh, around us. Right, so, so please don't hear me say that we should acknowledge the situation as an exercise of, of introspection as an end. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I don't mean that. We, we don't think deeply about the situation as an end. That, that's not the end. There's got to be then a response. Okay? And so what, what do we see from Peter and John? What, what's the response of Peter and John and the people? They go back to their friends. They report to them what these leaders had said. They report to them the situation. The gathered believers now know the situation. And what is their response? What is the response? They know that opposition is there. They've heard about it. They know that a warning has been made, that, that threats about their actions have been made. They know that they've been told not to talk about Jesus. They, they know all of that. They know that Peter and John told those leaders that they wouldn't put up with that and that they were going to talk about Jesus. Peter and John have told them about the situation. Now, what is their response? The, the gathered people, what is their response? Collectively, what is their response? Prayer. That's what their collective response. They have no other response but to pray. And so in verse 24, we're told that when the people heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. They lifted their voices together collectively to God. They, they prayed. And what did they pray? I want us to catch this. What did they pray? Did they pray for protection? Did they pray for, um, maybe they were super spiritual, right? And so they gathered to pray. They did a couple little popcorn prayers and they prayed for a hedge of protection, right? Maybe, that, maybe that's what they prayed for. Did, did they pray that God would, would destroy the enemy and seek revenge? Did they, did they pray? No, what did they pray? Let's look at how they, they started their prayer. Do you see how they started? They started by acknowledging their sovereign Lord. That's how they started. Look at the beginning of their prayer in the middle of verse 24. They acknowledge at least three things about God. At least three things about God. First, they acknowledge to, to God that He is the sovereign Lord. They just put it out there. You are the sovereign Lord. In this designation, they, they are acknowledging that God is over all things. He is over all things. Powerfully ruling, powerfully reigning over all things. Even in that situation, He's powerfully ruling. Even in that situation, he's, he's reigning over all things. Even in this opposition against them, God is reigning and ruling. And so they say, God, you are the sovereign Lord, ruler of everything. And then secondly, they acknowledge God to be the creator God. He made the heavens, the earth, the sea, everything in the heavens, the earth, and the sea. God made everything. They're acknowledging God to be the ruler of everything because he made everything. That's just who God is. Now, if that's the way that our prayers go, doesn't that change a lot about our perspective? Like even thinking about the events that have happened recently in Paris. God, you are sovereign. You are over all things. You are mighty and powerful and over all things. God, you've created everything. Speaking it from nothing, you've created all things. And so God, this stuff in Paris does not catch you off guard. Right? Doesn't, doesn't that change the way we think about these things that, that, that we're going through? Third, so, so first, they acknowledge God to be the sovereign Lord. They acknowledge God to be the creator. And third, they acknowledge God to be the God of history. So they, they acknowledge not, not that God's just, just God now, but that he's been God forever. Do you see that in verse 25? They pray together in one voice to the God who through the mouth of their father David said by the Holy Spirit, and then they quote from Psalm 2. And so do you see what, what they're doing? They're acknowledging that God is the God of David. He's the God who spoke through David. He's the God who speaks Scripture. He, he's the God who, who speaks Scripture. The words of the psalmist are the words of God, the same words that we have in our Bibles today. Do you realize that? That we hold in our hands the very words of God, the God of history. We have it. We, we have His words. They're the words of God, the same words that we have in our Bibles today. God has, uh, has, has been. He, he was, He has been, is, and always will be. He's speaking the truth that, that God is over all. He's the sovereign Lord. God is the God of creation. God is the God of history speaking truth through His King David. 
And, and, and the truth that he spoke through David is now be, being applied to the situation. You see that? They're, they're applying it now in their prayer. If we could only pray like this, quoting from Psalms about the truth of God, now applying it to the current situation. They're applying the current situation from Psalm 2 to, to, to right now. The believers pray and apply Psalm 2 to the situation that they're going into. And they say, the Gentiles rage and plot. Plot against what? Uh, they plot against God's plan. But listen, they plot in vain. Boom. They, they plot in vain. Why is it vain? Because God is over all things, orchestrating all things. How could the rulers plot against God's plan? Here's the answer. They can't. It's in vain. Psalm 2 continues, The kings and the rulers of the earth gather together to go against God and against His anointed, not David the anointed, but the anointed eternal King Jesus. And so do you see how the people have applied Psalm 2 to their situation that the rulers have gone against Jesus and opposed Peter and John and anyone else who will speak about the name of Jesus? They're applying Psalm 2 in a prayer that they are collectively praying, praying to the sovereign God. Then in their prayer, as they acknowledge the Sovereign Lord, they explain and expound upon Psalm 2, showing that Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel all get together and they go against Jesus. The very Jesus, who verse 28 tells us, has been destined to do whatever God's hand and God's plan had predestined to take place. Yes, that very Jesus that God is orchestrating all of these events. The opposition of these leaders is not thwarting God's plan. It's not. Uh, uh, let, me, let me say that again this way. The opposition of no one will thwart God's plan. There, there's nothing that goes against, stands against God's plan. It's not possible. And so God the Father has a plan to work through His Son. He has a predetermined plan to work through His Son. And, and these leaders who are mortal will not work against God's immortal plan. These leaders who are finite will not work against God's infinite plan. These leaders who have limited power will not work against God's unlimited powerful plan. They cannot. God had a plan to redeem a people through His Son, Jesus. The redemption of those people would spread then through the proclamation of, God, of Jesus' good name. And these people who have been tasked to be witnesses of Jesus have now gone out and they're being opposed, but nothing will go against the ultimate plan of God. So they're praying that. They're acknowledging that. And so how did their prayer begin? Again, by, by acknowledging just that, 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 acknowledging the sovereign Lord in light of the situation they've already acknowledged. Here's the situation we're in. I'm acknowledging it. And, and, and in light of that, that God is over all. Isn't it most appropriate to acknowledge a sovereign Lord in light of the situations that are going on? Isn't this how we should begin our prayers? So especially if we've taken the time to acknowledge our situation. I think that's why it's so important to acknowledge the situation that you're in. If you don't do that, you think you're overall. You think you've got it together. No, stop and acknowledge where you are so that you can acknowledge that God is over all things, not you. If we've acknowledged our situation, the natural flow from that is to acknowledge a sovereign God. We are not over everything. We acknowledge that He is absolutely over everything, and, and we are not. We know a God who is over everything. He is the sovereign Lord ruling over everything. He is the creator of everything. Nothing slips by Him as unknown because He's created it all. He's created the sun, the moon, the stars, and everything surrounding the current situation. He knows what you are going through right now. He knows your current situation. He, he knows about your family relationships. He knows that. He knows about your job situation. He knows about your health. He knows uh, about your financial stresses. He knows about your doubts and your concerns. He knows about your deepest insecurities, the insecurities that you will talk about with other people and confess, and the insecurities that you can't confess because you don't know they're there yet. He knows those things. He knows everything about everything because He is a sovereign God who has a sovereign plan and nothing goes against it. So isn't that how our prayers should begin? This is how Jesus taught us to pray, isn't it? Matthew chapter 6, he, he teaches us to pray. He says, don't, don't pray like these people who, who just say a lot of vain things. Pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see? Acknowledging that God is God. That He's God. So how does that prayer then work out for you? Here's what I would recommend. Here's what I would put in front of us. That we sit down and we acknowledge our situation. Where are we? Why are we facing this? Why are we facing opposition? Where's my heart in all of this? You, you speak it. You write it. You, you, you think through it. And then acknowledge the sovereign God who is over that situation. Acknowledge your situation and then acknowledge that the sovereign God is over that situation. So maybe it's something like this. God, I am sinfully frustrated by my current situation. Uh, my, my health is on the decline and my ra- relationships are, are tense, but God, you are sovereign over all. You will use these situations for your glory. Your desire is that I would not be sinfully frustrated, but that I would trust in your sovereign plan. You made everything. You created everything from nothing. There is nothing as powerful as you. There is no one as powerful as you, God, our creator. You are the God of history. You know my past. You know what led up to my past. You, you you know everything that got me to the place that I'm currently in. You know my situation. You know how I got here. You know that I don't like it. You, you have a plan, and, and that plan will never be thwarted. Acknowledging our past, our present, our future situation must lead us to a place of deeply acknowledging our sovereign God. If it does not, you are not rightly acknowledging your situation. The people hear about the situation from John and Peter and their response is to acknowledge a sovereign God in the midst of their situation and they do it. They pray. That's their response. They acknowledge God. And I think this is an area we can all be growing, right? Let me, let me just say that again in this way. This is an area we can all be growing. It is. It's absolutely an area where we can be growing in our discipline of prayer. That's absolutely true for you and for me. But even in in the prayers we currently pray, couldn't we be growing in how we, how we begin that prayer? Right? And acknowledging who God is. You're holy, you're powerful, you're creator, you're righteous, you're sovereign, you are, and on and on we could go with God's attributes. And, And so, so I think all too often we gather for prayer. You sit down with another person, you even approach God individually, we gather for prayer, and we jump right into requests of God. We just ask. We begin demanding. And that's good and right. God hears us. He wants to hear our requests. He does absolutely want to hear those things. He's powerful to answer our requests. But there's something to approaching God in awe first. Approaching God in awe. That sets the stage for who's in control, right? That sets the stage that, that God is in control, that He's the one who's powerful to answer, and that we have no right to demand anything. Acknowledging God in our situation points the attention to God. We, we, we've tried to, to make this a practice even as we approach God together in our elder-led prayer on Wednesday evenings where we begin by, by spending five, ten minutes approaching God for who He is, naming His attributes together. We start our evenings like that. You don't believe me? Come on a Wednesday night. Um, if, you're, if, you're, if you're taking on the practice of writing about the situation, writing things down, what if you then wrote beside those things the attribute of God? You sit down and you say, here's my situation. And, and then you flip back through those pages and you just write beside it in the margin. And here's an attribute of God. So, so it'd be something like this. God, our financial situation is unstable because of medical bills. And, and then next to that, you write, God is a God of provision. He, he owns all things. He cares for me more than the birds who don't store up food in barns. He cares for me. And, and so you just write your situation and then write the attributes of God next to those. If you're getting together to talk with someone about your situation, what if you talked about the attributes of God in the midst of those situations? Here, here's what I'm really dealing with. Here's where I'm struggling. I, I don't know what to do. Oh, okay. God does. He, he's a God who's over everything. He's a God who knows all things. He, he's powerfully planned everything. What, what if we look at it in, in those kinds of ways? It's good and it's right to acknowledge God in the midst of our situation, but, but is that where it stops? God, you're powerful, you're good, you're over all things. Amen. That, that could be a good place. 
if you're not doing that, that's a good place to start. But is that where it stops? If we continue on in Acts 4, we see that the people together collectively then ask the powerful God to answer them. And, And I want us to see this prayer because it's such a model for us. Look at verse 29. I want us to see verse 29. So it says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. Look upon their warnings. Look upon their threats. Look upon the threats of our enemy and go get them. Right? Is that what it says? Look look upon uh, their threats and and go after them. Destroy them. Teach them a lesson, God. Is that what it, it says? No, not at all. It says, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness. And so what's the primary concern here in their prayer? What was the primary concern? The, the primary concern is not revenge. The, the primary concern is not revenge on their enemies, but that they would have courage and boldness to speak, to continue to speak uh, about Jesus, the very thing that's bringing about the threats. Do you understand that? Do you see the, the, the flow there? Wrap your brains around this. The, the leaders say, do not speak about Jesus anymore to anyone. Don't do it threatening you. We're warning you. Do not speak about Jesus to anyone. And the prayer of God's people is, help us to speak boldly about Jesus. They approach a powerful God and ask a powerful God for boldness. And so we've got to understand the prayer that we need to understand that the reason they prayed was not for their own fame. In fact, the situation is pushing in a very different direction, right? Their fame will quickly come to an end if they speak about Jesus. Right? Do you remember Bill? Yeah, he spoke about Jesus. His fame's no more. Right? Do, do you understand the, the situation? Their fame will quickly come to an end if they continue to speak uh, about Jesus. And so they're not praying for their own fame. They've been warned. The only reason they would pray for boldness to continue to speak about Jesus when they, they've been warned not to speak about Jesus is so that Jesus would be made more famous. That's the only reason they would, they would pray in that way. And so they pray for boldness. And, and not only do they pray for boldness, they also pray that God would continue to work through the powerful name of Jesus. And so they're praying two things, boldness and uh, boldness to proclaim and that their prayers would be answered in the powerful name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus that heals more people, that changes more people, that works miracles through and in more people. All of that coming from the powerful name of God's holy servant, Jesus boldness continue to work boldness continue to work god how would that change our prayers what if in the midst of our trying situations if we first acknowledge god for being a sovereign creator god and then we begin our requests of him but our requests were not that our situations would necessarily stop or that our situations would be easier or that our situations would win us fame that but but that god would give us boldness to point most to jesus and then wait for his powerful miracles to begin how would that change our perspective on prayer? How, how would that, that change your view of carrying out the mission of Jesus to become his witnesses to the ends of the earth? If the aim of our prayer in the midst of these trying situations is God give us boldness to speak about Jesus to others, to continue to work through the powerful name of Jesus on others. Give us boldness to speak about Jesus and continue to work out powerful things through Jesus. And so I know, I know many of you have, have relationships with others who are not yet believers. Remember from Ephesians how I, I said we should be saying not yet believers because we don't know who will be? We know that many of you are, are in relationships with people who are not yet believers. Do you think that's an accident? I was talking to someone this past week and they said since we've been working through the book of Acts, they've had more and more opportunities, more than ever, to be in relationships with people who are not yet believers. Since we've been working through the book of Acts and seeing how the the call to be witnesses of Jesus has been placed not only on their lives but also on our lives, this person said, I've just been seeing that I've got more and more opportunities with people who are not yet believers. Do you think that's an accident? No, no. I, I know many of you are are engaged in, in praying uh, together with us at noon. W- what if we added to that prayer? What if we added that to that prayer? Yeah, we've gathered together at noon. We've put it in our phones. And at noon, we're praying that God would save people. And guess what He is? But what if we added to that prayer, God save people 
And God, give me boldness to speak the good name of Jesus to people who you've sovereignly placed in my path. God, God, give me opportunities. God, help me to think most about your fame and not my own. Help me to think most about your honor and glory and not my own. Help me to be bold and courageous. And, and so I'll ask you this. Would you join me in adding that to your prayers at noon? God, save people and give me boldness to speak to people about Jesus. Both. Both. God, God give us boldness as you continue to use us to be witnesses of Jesus and, and in the process, save. God, save. We were together as elders uh, in, in Dallas. I know, don't be envious. In Dallas this last, um, this last week. And one of the things that one, one of the speakers said, actually the, the president of our church planting network, one of the things he said is one of his hopes for the churches, the, the Acts 29 churches in this coming year, is that we would continue to be grimy churches. And what he means by that, what he meant by that, is that we would continue to be a place where people with wrecked and messed up pasts are coming to meet Jesus and we're walking with them in that. And so what if we continue to pray, God save, give me boldness to speak into a situation that's grimy and I don't know how to deal with, right? Because I've got a nice blue and white plaid shirt and tucked in and I'm good and I'm, I'm solid and this is my life. I don't know the grimy passes and I don't even know how to interact with that. We need boldness, right? We need courage to not, to not think most about ourselves but the fame of Jesus. So what if we were praying, God, help us to be a grimy place where Jesus is saving and changing people and give me boldness to be a part of that. Does God always answer our prayers? I want to, I want to hear from you. That's the question. Does, does God always answer our prayers? Yes. He, he absolutely always answers our prayers. Now, they, they may not always be the answers that we hope for or expect, right? They, they may not always be in the timing that we would like. But God always answers our prayers. And our role in that is acknowledging our own situation. And then we acknowledge God most. And then we ask the God who answers. And then we uh, await God's perfect answer. We wait for it. We, we wait for it. Isn't that what we see in verse 31? Let's finish this out. When they had prayed, God began to answer. And God's answering was obvious. Right? The, the place began to shake. The, the place began to shake. The people were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Why? For, for their own fame? Right? They were filled with the Holy Spirit so that they, they would feel good. So that they would get their, their, their little jollies off of that. No, no, no. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And look, look at the last part of verse 31. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Did God answer their prayer? Yeah. God, give us boldness. Oh, here we go. Shaking place. I'm going to go speak the name of Jesus with boldness. Absolutely, God answered. They were filled with the Holy Spirit so that they could continue to speak the good name of Jesus with boldness. That's an answer to prayer. Here's what I think we learned from this as we, as we finish. Here's what I think we learned from these believers. And, and, and I think it's really this simple. In the midst of our God-ordained situation, we must acknowledge God as God. We must ask God for boldness and continued work, and then we've got to wait for His answers. But actually, listen, not, not just wait, but actually be looking for it actually be making steps in obedience to, to move forward as he answers. Actually ready to go as he answers. And so are, are we praying in this way? And, and again, I don't think we can miss this. I'm going to bring it all full circle. It, 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 uh, is this, that, that the people are praying together, right? They are a, a community approaching God together. They are together with one voice. They are acknowledging God as God together. They are together with one voice asking for boldness. They are together with one voice pleading that God would still work through the name of Jesus. They are together with one mind waiting on God to answer. This is a corporate approach. They are approaching together. And often we're so ashamed about the situations we're in or the situations that are placed in front of us. We're so ashamed about how we've handled our current situations. So we don't tell anyone. We don't bring it to anyone. We don't approach God together with anyone. Often we don't wrestle with, with, with these things because we think, oh, these other people aren't wrestling with the same doubts, the same fears, the same insecurities. And so I'm not going to talk about these things. I'm not going to bring others in who, who and bother them with my problems. I'm, I'm not going to do that. And 
and often we see our boldness in speaking the good news of Jesus as an individual pursuit, and we don't include others. And I think that's wrong. I think we've got to be inviting people in to approach God with our requests and asking that He would give us boldness to speak the good name of Jesus together. And so I think we see that here, that these people collectively seriously took the command of God to be, or Christ to be witness, His witnesses, and they took seriously, listen, they took seriously the war that was being waged against the name of Jesus. They took seriously the war that was being waged against, against the name of Jesus, and so they approached God together. They, they, they simply knew no other way. Uh, it's a corporate approach. And so this morning, that's how I'm going to finish. I'm going to pray. We're going to spend some time praying. We're going to pray together collectively that God would give us boldness, that He would continue to work. And then we'll continue to worship the One who saves. Let's pray. God, we come to You this morning. We uh, First, we acknowledge the situations that we're in. That's different for every person in this room. But we, we just spend some time right now in in front of you, in your presence, acknowledging the situations we're in. God, there are some of us who are fearful about things that are coming. There are some of us in this room who have who have great doubts about who you are. There's some in this room who are certainly facing insecurities insecurities that they'll confess openly, insecurities that they don't know about, insecurities, insecurities that they, they try to hide with other things. There are those in this room who are angry. Father, there are those in this room who are really frustrated because things are way out of their control. We acknowledge our situation to You right now. God, there, there are people in this room who are joyful, that are excited about what's to come. There are those in this room who are looking forward to what, what, what is happening this week and to time with family next week. And there are people in this room who, who are facing all kinds of things and You know hearts. You are the God who knows hearts. And so we acknowledge right now that You are our God, that You know our situations. And God, we, we then are led to acknowledge You as God. That You are a, a sovereign God. That You know all things. That You're a powerful Creator, God. You've created everything. You are the God of history. You know our past. You know the past that led to our past and has led then to our, our present and will go into our future. You are that God. God, You are a holy and righteous and patient and kind and merciful and a God that's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's who You are. And it's because you're those things that we can approach you and, and ask you for things. You're a Father who delights in giving good gifts. Our, our earthly fathers may give us gifts that aren't good, but you're a God who isn't that way. You delight in giving us good gifts. And so God, we ask that you would give us courage and boldness to speak the good name of Jesus to our own hearts. That we would speak the truth of the Gospel to our own situations that we're in now. That You would give us courage and boldness to speak the good name of Jesus to those who oppose Him. Would You give us courage and, and boldness to speak the good name of Jesus to those we've been in relationships for, for a long time and we've never gotten to a place of, of speaking would You give us courage to say the words You have placed on us, convicted us about, and, and, and pushed us towards saying, and we've never done it. Even, even today, would You bring to mind areas where we can speak boldly and, and with great courage 
the good name of Jesus to those who are around us. Maybe that's at work. Maybe that's family members. Maybe that's people in our own homes. Would you give us courage to do that, God? We ask you because we can. And then, God, we, we wait. We wait on your answer. We wait in expectation, great expectation that you will answer that you listen to us, that you hear us, that you care for us and are concerned about us, and that you, you have a desire to see your son made more and more famous. And, and why would you not answer the prayer for boldness? God, and so we wait. We wait that you would answer. And God, we pray that you would give us um, hearts that want to be obedient to step forward. Would you work powerfully in and through us to speak the good name of Jesus. And then, God, we plead with You that You would save. That You would save souls, bringing from death to life those who have wandered, those who have turned their backs on You. Bring them to You, Father, we pray. Would You do that? We plead. Amen. We we get the the great opportunity to uh, celebrate the, the finished work of Christ. I think that's a great, great uh, exclamation point to where we have been, that, that the work has been finished. Yes, we've been called to something. We've been called into courageous obedience. Uh, and, and we will try and try and try, and God will help us to be obedient, but we will never be perfectly obedient. But guess what? Jesus was. Jesus is perfectly obedient for us. When we, when we have doubts about where we are in position with God the Father, we rest in the hope that Christ is perfect for us. He is righteous for us. That's our hope. And, and so we get to celebrate that this morning through this meal. We get to celebrate through a meal that Jesus um, instituted with his friends. He put in front of his friends. He broke bread, shared it with them. He shared wine. And he said, this is my body, showing them the bread. This is my body broken for you. And he said the same with the cup of wine. This is my blood shed for you. He says, eat this and drink this in remembrance of me. And so we get to gather around that. We get to break bread together this morning. We get to share wine together this morning in remembrance of Jesus and what he's done. The work has been done. It's finished. So we get to celebrate around that. We're going to sing together this morning, remembering the things that God has done. We remember that he's God who's brought us from where we once were to where we are now. And we'll, we'll, we'll keep that promise into eternity. We get to celebrate that together. If you're here together as a, if you're here this morning as a believer, we would invite you to join in this meal. We're going to have people up here serving, um, and they're going to be proclaiming the gospel to us over and over and over that this is the body of Christ for you. This is the blood of Christ for you. And we're going to sing together as we do that. If you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I don't know if I'm a believer. I don't think I am. I wouldn't call myself one. We would ask that you just sit right where you are. It's not a big deal to us. We're glad you're here. We want to keep talking to you about Jesus. That's our only hope. So we're going to just keep talking to you about that. And so we want to do that. In the pews there in front of you, you probably find a card that has some prayers on it. Prayers of, of one who's doubting. Prayers for one who wants to believe. If, if you're not in a place where you would say, yes, I'm a believer, we'd say just sit right there and, and read through those prayers and, and think about those things. So let's, let's gather together this morning. Uh, I'll invite those who are going to be serving up and, and we'll, uh, we'll celebrate. Let's do that.